In this podcast, Wayne Bruce talks to Mark Leblaneur, the Chief Medical Officer at Austin Health. Hi Mark, thanks for your time today. Um, Can I start by asking how you came to study medicine? Yeah, sure, Wayne. Look, I think I always found science interesting as a, a young man. I always found the, the human body fascinating in terms of the way things worked and the way the body was put together and the good old 3D pop-up books back in the days, in the olden days. We had pop-up books and very interested in you know, whether that was the inner ear or the brain. So I think that was an early interest in the body and uh, human beings. And I think I'm perhaps more of the sort of the, the caring, sharing side. I was always the uh, I was the oldest child amongst my family friend, my parents' family friend. And I think, you know, we lived in a court and our kids would fall over we'd hurt ourselves and I was a natural eldest so I was the one who ran and got the little first aid kit and the band-aids and the dead old and I think it's sort of that natural you know, caring and trying to look after those around me so I think that's sort of the two angles that sort of piqued my interest I guess. Hmm, interesting so during your career have there been you know one or more jobs that have really helped shape it from your point of view? Yeah, look, I think all of my jobs have um, really assisted in my transition from perhaps novice to less than novice. In my med school days, I had a year up in uh, Northern Territory, which is pretty unheard of. I did a Bachelor of Medical Science there, a research year. Spent a lot of time with Indigenous communities, uh, sitting on the banks of the crocodile-infested waters, talking about different aspects of health. It was at a time when HIV was big in Australia, and there was a real concern about the Indigenous population. So that taught me an awful lot about the psychology of change and the sort of sociological aspects of health and uh, human nature which I think are critical to good medical care and I think all of my roles have really helped me uh, and, and sort of given me different experiences so in my uh, early years I spent time uh, at the Alfred Hospital where my main portfolio was one on clinical governance and medication safety in a big organisational wide focus so that taught me the skills of engaging by way of influencing project management a focus on sound clinical governance then I transitioned to the UK for a while and that was an experience in a sort of a health departmental space and getting involved with uh, healthcare financing and, and significant microeconomic reform. And then more recently, I uh, spent 10 years in the private sector. Again, that's been uh, very fulfilling in terms of getting more experience in the uh, strategic planning, uh, risk management space, um, and working you know, with the board very closely on strategic and operational initiatives. Uh, so I think all the opportunity and all those opportunities have helped me uh, grow as a leader. Mm. And with the UK, so you can contrast that with Australia, what do you see as the differences and the similarities between the two systems? Yeah, look, it was interesting in the UK. So I think the similarities are, I think, just this insatiable demand for care and services. And there are a lot of similarities in terms of the way we uh, we fund things. The key difference is there's, you know, socialised medicine in the UK whereby no one has to pay a cent for healthcare. We have that in Australia, but we have a much larger private sector that historically has picked up, you know, 40 to 50% of the, the care load in, in the community. So I think that's a big difference. But I think um, notwithstanding the difference in the care models, one of the real challenges in both systems is how you do achieve providing care closer to one's home. So there's a lot of focus uh, in the UK 10 years ago on moving care out of hospitals, um, and that requires you know good integration of primary care and secondary care. The GPs working effectively with the hospitals to ensure that patients you know have the right care to remain home. And even though there was a socialised service with you know one fund holder or one set of fund holders being the GPs funding the hospitals per se, the primary and secondary sectors still worked very distinctly in two ways. And I see that similarly in Australia that we have public health care but because of the different financing approaches federal government provide funding for primary care and state predominantly for secondary care there's still a lot of push and pull by way of incentives or perverse disincentives to do the care coordination really well. Have the primary health networks helped to move down the integrated care path at all? 
Look, I think from my perspective in private care, I haven't been close enough to that action, to be frank. I think it's probably in some ways not dissimilar to the history of GPs and, and trying to come together in a more proactive, constructive way. And there are, I think, pockets of success around the country, but I think it's still, from what I've seen, quite early days. And I think, again, just reflecting on the financing system, it is a challenge for the commissioners you know, who hold funds to influence big you know, secondary tertiary hospitals where there is depth of clinical expertise and patients just land on the doorstep through the ED. So you've got to have the right levers to change the way that we provide care. And I think in our current system where we have a federal system, a state-based system, primary and secondary care um, and preventive care, it is still very fragmented. What's most inspired you in your career? Probably uh, a number of people. I think you always learn from your leaders around you. And I remember back in the days of my paediatric training, I had some terrific clinician mentors who guided me down the path of always listening to the children's parents when I was you know, seeing a sick child. Um, and that held me always in, in solid, on solid ground. I was getting a bit tired or a bit fed up with a particular chunk of work. That would resonate, keep an eye on what the parents are worried about, and that will keep you on the right track. And I think that's held me in, in good stead in terms of the similar approach with my stakeholders. So whether it's the medical staff with whom I engage, or the nursing staff, or colleagues in, in the management space, people around you are the experts in their own field. So um, you always want to heed their advice and defer to their expertise. That doesn't mean you should shy away from the tough questions of you know exploring and understanding but appreciate that everyone has expertise, understands their own processes obviously better than you do, and using that to leverage for improvement. Say, I think the, you know, there have been a number of people in the I guess healthcare leadership space have inspired me in terms of the relentless pursuit of safety, really key from a patient and a staff perspective, but also you know, not just safety, safety is a starting point. How do we aspire to true excellence in everything that we do? And obviously um, a key focus needs to be on how we engage our staff, again, all staff come to work uh, to do their best. So I think I've certainly learned from the staff around me in terms of how I keep the staff excited and focused on key priorities to provide the best care for the patient. Digital technology is having a big impact in healthcare and will more so presumably over the years. I mean, how do you see that playing out? Uh, technology is around for a while. I'm probably more on the technophobe side rather than technophile. I guess that there is a huge amount of potential in technology. There's lots of a lot of examples uh, where healthcare is bringing you know, digital uh, to provide better care. There's been a lot of rhetoric around wearables and knowing more about patients, the way that they undertake participate in sport or how they manage their own care. I think we're just scratching the surface. So I think there's huge potential to utilise the technologies. I think the challenge for healthcare is uh, obviously a financial and infrastructure challenge. It's exciting stuff. Some of this is very low cost, low barrier to entry, some of the things that we can buy in the shops, but how that translates to providing better care and better information whilst you're in a hospital, I think we've still got a significant journey, predominantly because we all use different systems. We're at different levels of maturity in terms of our IT infrastructure. Some places are still challenged with Wi-Fi. So I think huge potential. I think the frustration with many you know, clinical and non-clinical folk are we can get this at Coles, we can get this on our banks, there's cardless transactions that occur. Why can't we do it in healthcare? What attracted to your current role at Austin Health? A number of uh, aspects, I guess. I'd been in private uh, healthcare for uh, a decade and I was very keen to get back to sort of the coalface of public medicine in the sense of often at the cutting edge of maybe new technologies or uh, research endeavours. And I guess the complexity of care, Austin's a, a huge health service, providing care to the community, the local community, but also providing care at a statewide level with some of our expert services. So I was keen to get more engaged or re-engage with the public health sector. I think 
think the public health sector has a lot of challenges currently in terms of, I guess, the culture, the economy at large, the finances, and I aspire to be able to make a difference in a challenging environment. Do you see any particular opportunities or challenges for Austin Health over the next five years or so? I might speak to the challenges first. I think the challenges are obviously one of the economy and uh, just having sufficient funding to ensure that we uh, retain good infrastructure so we can support our staff in providing highest quality care to our patients. I think Austin, probably like many hospitals uh, in inner Melbourne, is challenged with the what sort of hospital are we? We're providing community care to our local catchment, but we're also providing highly technical expert care at a statewide level. Some very complex care, liver transplantation, spinal surgery, surgery, mental health, paediatric care. Can we provide everything to the quality, the level of quality that the population expects and that the clinicians can continue to provide? I think that's a real challenge. I think the opportunities are huge. I think if we can perhaps self-determine, obviously in concert with uh, other health services, what we can do really well and what others can do really well and can we make the best of that rather than everyone trying to do everything? I think that would be a real opportunity and you know, a real advantage to the community at large, but also to our staff who I think do get challenged with the again the insatiable demand that we're trying to provide everything to everyone can any business do that really well so I think the other opportunities I think all of our staff here they're experts in their own field they're passionate about the care they provide so I think the opportunities are to tap into that creativity and that passion for excellence to ensure that we're sustainable for the long term. You came into this job via an executive recruitment firm were there any advantages or benefits of working with an executive recruiter in that way? Yeah, look, I found it certainly helpful in that being able to be guided on process, what the expectation of your client were, the Austin, but also being able to be pretty frank in terms of my expectations. So setting the tone for the engagement in an impartial setting I found helpful. And then also feeling my way through the process, being able to sort of sound out whether I had to wait for interview or whether it was appropriate for me to engage with you key folk throughout the formal process to ensure I got a, an appropriate cross-section of views around culture and what the organisation was about. I think a pretty important process. Process. Finally, what are your top tips for aspiring leaders that how do they prepare themselves to be successful in their career? I think listen to others around you. They may not have all the answers, but I think the more you can listen rather than do the talking, I think the natural way to learn and to really listen and really hear. My approach has always been grab every opportunity with open hands. So regardless of how painful or annoying a particular task might be or how busy you are, um, every task or activity is a learning opportunity. Grab it with open arms. There's always something to learn. And I think finally, don't aspire to get to the top where the top is too fast. I think it is a journey. I've been fortunate to meander through a range of different different roles I'm not quite sure what I want to be when I grow up yet, but I think being equipped with all uh, a quiver of arrows certainly holds you in good stead. So don't shy away from taking lots of opportunities. Don't, don't necessarily aim for the peak now too soon. Thanks for your time today, Mark. No, pleasure.